0: You're grounded. Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. In this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to take part in part five of article 690 of the National Electrical Code. That's right. Part five is grounding and bonding. Yes, we could get grounded and bond at the same time, just like me and my little brother when we used to get in trouble for sneaking out. <laughs> of course we didn't do that or at least we didn't get caught. Anyway, we're talking about the 2023 NEC. We're not talking about the 80s. And what we're gonna do this time is we are gonna read chapter six of the third edition of PV in the NEC by myself, Sean White, Bill Brooks. You can buy this book on Amazon, check it out. You can find all my books, go to solarsean.com Go halfway down the page. And there you can see links to all the books on Amazon. So what I'm going to do, I'm reading this, besides ground myself, I'm attached to an eight-foot-long ground rod right now with copper going all up my left leg. And we're going to read this book, but I'm also going to have commentary on the commentary as I read. Article 690 Part V, that's five, that's Roman for five, Grounding and Bonding. Bonding is electrically connecting metal together and grounding is connecting to earth. 690.41 PV system DC circuit grounding and protection. Section 690.41 is only related to PV system DC circuit grounding and protection. Not all PV systems have DC circuit grounding, but all exposed non-current carrying metal equipment within a PV system that could be energized must be connected to the equipment Grounding conductor 690.43. Now we're going into a text box with some commentary. And here it says Here are some simple Article 100 definitions to get us grounded on grounding. Commentary on the commentary is that all of the stuff that was in 690.2 definitions is now in Article 100 definitions. All definitions in the 2023 NEC have been moved. All definitions that were not already in Article 100, such as definitions in 690.2, 705.2, 706.2, all of those .2 definitions are now in Article 100, and here I'm gonna read the ones that are relevant to grounding. Grounding electrode, a conducting object through which a direct connection to Earth is established. Grounding electrode conductor, GEC, a conductor used to connect the system grounded conductor or the equipment grounding conductor to a grounding electrode or to a point on the grounding electrode system. Equipment grounding conductor, EGC, not to be confused with GEC, The conductive path, or paths, that provide a ground fault current path and connects normally non-current carrying metal parts of equipment together to the system grounded conductor, or to the grounding electrode conductor, or both. Also performs bonding. Ground. That's the earth. Grounded conductor. A system or circuit conductor that is intentionally grounded, often white or gray and called a neutral. Solidly grounded. Connected to ground without inserting any resistor or impedance device. An inverter that uses a fused to detect ground faults is not solidly grounded on the DC side. By the way, most PV systems are solidly grounded on the AC side. Functionally grounded. A system that has an electrical ground reference for operational purposes that is not solidly grounded. Most PV arrays are functionally grounded. The exception is usually going to be a very small, standalone PV system. Ground fault. An unintentional, electrically conductive connection between an ungrounded conductor of an electrical circuit and the normally non-current carrying conductor's metallic enclosures, metallic raceways, metallic equipment, or earth. Ground fault detector interrupter. GFDI, a device that provides protection for PVDC circuits by detecting a ground fault that could interrupt the fault path in the DC circuit. This definition is new in the 2023 National Electrical Code, however, not new in the PV industry. This is to differentiate between GFCI and detecting and interrupting ground faults on the DC side of a PV system. Ground fault circuit interrupter a device intended for the protection of personnel that functions to de-energize a circuit or portion thereof within an established period of time when a current to ground exceeds the values established for a Class A device. Class A will trip between 4 and 6 milliamps. Now we're going to talk about the outline of 690.41, PV system DC circuit grounding and protection. And so this is going to just help get our bearings. So just remember that section 690.41, that's PV system DC circuit grounding and protection, which is inside of article 690, which is inside of NFPA 70, which is the national electrical code, which is inside of my computer. And then underneath 690.41 PV system DC circuit grounding and protection, we have 690.41A PV system DC circuit grounding configurations. And so there's gonna be five different grounding configurations. And we're gonna go over these after we go over this little outline. So the first one is 690.41A1. I dare you to memorize that. And that is two wire circuits with one functionally grounded conductor. That would be like a fuse grounded inverter. Then there is 690.41A2. That's the second type of DC array grounding configurations, and that's for bipolar circuits with a functionally grounded center tap, as in 690.7C, and we don't really see those. We just dream about them and make funny jokes about bipolar circuits. Next, we have the third type of array grounding, 690.41A3, arrays not isolated from the grounded inverter output circuit that's our typical string inverter or inverter smaller than a megawatt the bigger than a megawatt inverters are probably are usually going to be the fuse grounded types and so that would have been 690.41 a1 so big inverters 690.41 a1 two wire circuits with one functionally grounded conductor and then the typical one that most people are used to, like string inverters, 690.41A3 arrays not isolated from the grounded inverter output circuit. Some people call these what people used to call them way back in the day was ungrounded or transformerless inverters. But they are functionally grounded. And also we call them non-isolated inverters. And now we've got the fourth way is 690.41A4 ungrounded circuits something you pretty much don't see unless you're in some weird place like Europe, and then it still would be rare. And that would be like a fuse-grounded inverter that worked without the fuse. So you'd really have a transformer, and you'd have this array floating around. Its voltages would be floating around. Unusual, only for big utility-scale Euro projects, sometimes once in a while. Then, on the other end of the spectrum, another way of... DC array grounding is 690.41A5 solidly grounded circuits, as in 690.41B. And so that would typically be a really small one or two string array, not on a building, with no ground protection. And you would have a solidly grounded circuit. For instance, you could have your well casing be the electrode, or you could have an electrode, and it's just directly connected to the negative or the positive. So if you're some little off gridder, You might have one of those and then you're probably not even following the NEC. Those off-grid people. 690.41A6, that's the last one. And it says this type of DC array grounding are circuits protected by equipment listed and identified. This is just some way of doing things. If somebody invents a cool new way, like I know you're going to do. Okay, so we finished 690.41A, all those different types of array grounding. Now we're looking at 690.41B, which is DC ground fault detector interrupter, GFDI protection, and that's a little bit different than what we used to say back in the day when we were talking about our GFDI fuses. We called it ground fault detection and interruption, and now it's saying ground fault detector interrupter protection. And there's a few different ways of doing this. And 690.41b1 is going to talk about ground fault detection. 690.41b2 is going to talk about faulted circuits, and there's a couple of different types of faulted circuits. 690.41b21 is current carrying conductors auto disconnect. And the other way, is 690.41b22 gfdi power off isolate circuits in functionally grounded systems and then we finish off 690.41b3 indication of faults so now we've digested that outline and we're going to start reading poetically reading of course 690.41 pv system dc circuit grounding and protection and we're reading this out of PV in the NEC. If you want to read along, go to page 128 of PV in the NEC third edition, halfway down the page. Typical AC system grounding is done by electrically connecting a current carrying conductor to the grounding electrode system in a single place. The grounded conductor is generally colored white or natural gray for solidly grounded systems. Since PV systems often don't produce extreme fault currents due to the closeness between short circuit current and operating current, we are functionally grounding, rather than solidly grounding, DC PV arrays. If you see an older PV system that was installed using the 2014 NEC or earlier, there's often a white DC wire. This is most likely what we call functionally grounded now, but back then we used to call grounding through a fuse grounded, which is no longer the case. Take note that in the 2023 NEC, it is clearly indicated that 690.41 is for DC PV circuits, which was always the case, but it is more clear now. The old title, System Grounding, was confusing to those outside the PV industry, so the title of the section was changed to be more accurate and clear. Now, after 690.41 PV System DC Circuit Grounding and Protection, we have 690.41 A PV System DC Circuit Grounding Configurations. Most of the six configurations following are unusual and not worth paying much attention to for most solar professionals. Paying close attention to 690.41A3 is a good idea since well over 90% of the inverters installed these days are of the non-isolated type. For large, utility-scale, megawatt-scale inverters, we most often see the 690.41A1 fuse-grounded, formerly known as grounded, types of inverters. So pay attention to these 2 Fuse-grounded inverters were the popular inverters of the past for all systems. On to the six types. 690.41A1, two wire circuits with one functionally grounded conductor. This is our old-style fuse-grounded solar inverter and was formerly known as a grounded inverter when applying the 2014 NEC and earlier. This type of inverter is still common in the large-scale megawatt inverter realm and seen often when doing maintenance on an old array. This was the most popular inverter in the U.S. until 2013. The old term often used for this type of inverter's ground fault detection system is ground fault detection and interruption, GFDI. However, as of the 2023 NEC, GFDI applies to all functionally grounded inverters. This inverter bonds a grounded conductor to the inverter internal grounding bus bar through an overcurrent protection device, fuse. When there is a ground fault on the ungrounded conductor, currents will flow through a conductive pathway to the GFDI fuse and open the fuse. The inverter will detect that the grounded conductor is no longer grounded, proceed to turn off the inverter, and then disconnect positive and negative at the inverter to prevent fires. You can still get shocked. One of the reasons that this fuse grounded type of inverter has gone out of style for less than megawatt sized inverters is that there is a blind spot for detecting ground faults. With all PV modules and conductors, things such as glass and conductor insulation are not perfect insulators, and some current will leak through the glass and the insulation and complete the circuit through the GFDI fuse. On a small residential system, there's never enough leakage current to cause a problem, but on larger systems, such as 30 kilowatts and up, the milliamps add up and the current can be great enough to require the inverter to use a larger GFDI fuse. As the fuse gets larger for these leakage currents, it also inhibits the inverter's ability to detect ground faults. Once there is a ground fault that is unseen, blind spot, another ground fault can short-circuit the whole PV array, and fires can occur. There are ways that these older systems can be modified by monitoring the current to make them safer, but the easiest thing to do is install a newer, non-isolated inverter, which is cheaper, safer, and more efficient. little commentary now. We do have images in this book, and of course, we have images in the class, probably the same images. When you're looking at the fuse grounded inverter image, we're showing the equipment grounded conductor connecting to a fuse at the inverter and then connecting one of the current carrying conductors to ground through a fuse. That means it's not solidly grounded, it is grounded through a fuse, or some may call resistively grounded. Now we're on to the bipolar way. A2 bipolar circuits with a functionally grounded center tap. We have mentioned bipolar arrays a number of times in this book, and you can look up in the index to read about bipolar arrays at every mention. Bipolar arrays are usually only seen in large utility-scale PV systems. We have not seen many between 2012 and 2023 being installed but they may be making a comeback in some cases before the 2023 NEC goes out of style, according to our resident futurist. Everybody's got to have a resident futurist, right? 690.41 A2 applies to these bipolar arrays with a functional grounded reference tap, center tap. A few people think of bipolar arrays as a way to sneak around the requirement for maximum voltage and double the system voltage. Bipolar arrays will give you double voltage benefits, so there is truth. However, now that we have ground-mounted PV arrays of 1,500 volts to ground, there is less of an incentive to double the voltage. Since 1,500 volts is a lot, jumping to 3,000 volts for efficiency gains may not be worth doing. The third way, 690.41A3, Arrays Not Isolated from Grounded Inverter Output Circuit. This is the most popular inverter today, representing over 90% of inverters installed. Formerly and commonly, though somewhat inaccurately known as an ungrounded inverter in the 2014 NEC, this inverter is now called a functionally grounded inverter and according to 690.41a3 text, we can officially call this inverter a not isolated inverter or, as we prefer, a non-isolated inverter. In figure 6.3, Vin would be the input voltage to the inverter, Vs is the source voltage, center tap split phase AC transformer. We'll get to that in a second. The non-isolated gets its name because the inverter is not isolated from the grounded AC transformer. The reason that it was formally thought of as ungrounded is because the PV array is ungrounded when the system is offline and grounded when the inverter is operating at 400 volts, we could expect the positive conductor to measure 200 volts to ground and the negative to measure minus 200 to ground. This array is referenced to ground and does not have a voltage that is randomly floating around or isolated by a transformer when the inverter is operating. These inverters are cheaper, safer, lighter, more efficient than your old style 690.41A1 two-wire PV arrays with one functionally grounded conductor inverters. Fuse grounded. Cheaper because no transformer to manufacture. Safer because more sensitive ground fault protection. Lighter and more efficient since no isolation transformer. Non-isolated inverters can detect ground faults much more sensitively than fuse grounded inverters. Fuse grounded inverters have to have an allowance for leakage currents and the fuse must be upsized as more PV is added to the system. Non-isolated inverters have different methods of detecting DC ground faults, such as insulation testing, As the inverter wakes up in the morning, a quick pulse of voltage will be sent out along the current carrying conductors into the array. If there is a lower than expected resistance to ground, then there is a failed insulation test and signs of a ground fault. The inverter will not be allowed to start. We want to see millions of ohms of resistance in the insulation of a conductor and hundreds of thousands of ohms of resistance in a string of modules. Comparing positive and negative currents residual current monitor. While operating, if positive does not equal negative, then the electrons must be taking an alternate path, otherwise known as a ground fault, or Martians are feeding on the electrons. That's right, that's what we're worried about. And now we have a informational text box here. Using non-isolated inverters prevents fires, since it can be up to 3,000 times more sensitive to ground faults than old school fuse grounded inverters. That's as sensitive as the people who are offended by our dad jokes. And yes, believe me, there are people that are that sensitive. And let me just explain the image here, talking about non-isolated inverters. If there's a ground fault on the DC side, it makes it over to the AC side. And we are actually grounded over on the AC side of the transformer for the DC array. That's why we don't need any DC grounded electrode conductors for a PV system. Not even for a supply side connected PV system. Now we're on to the fourth way 690.41A4 ungrounded PV arrays. The NEC definition of an ungrounded array, figure 6.4, next page, is different from the 2014 and earlier editions of the NEC. This truly ungrounded PV array is not the 690.41A3, now known as non-isolated array, formerly known as ungrounded, but is an array that has no functional reference to ground. Imagine a fuse-grounded inverter, and then you threw the fuse away, and the inverter was programmed to still work. This is essentially what we are talking about. Now, the only way to have an ungrounded array on an inverter connected to a grounded utility transformer on the AC side is where the inverter has an isolation transformer, but with no fuse or connection between a current carrying conductor and ground, as in figure 6.4. This array would be considered floating since the voltage could change with reference to ground. The inverter is uncommon and only currently used with some large utility scale inverters. The array is monitored with a sensitive insulation tester on a continuous basis. This is a very simple and effective method of ground fault protection. There's no way to look at an inverter and know whether it's an ungrounded inverter. We are unaware of any ungrounded inverters currently listed in the United States. All the ungrounded units currently running in the US are large scale plants and have been certified to IEC. International Electrotechnical Commission standards. And now, 690.41A5 solidly grounded PV arrays, the fifth way. A solidly grounded array, figure 6.5 next page, is one where there is a connection between a current carrying conductor and the grounding electrode system that is not a fuse and is solid. This is like your house's AC wiring. Many old-style standalone systems, as well as some more modern standalone systems, are solidly grounded. Many DC PV systems are also solidly grounded. Coming up soon in 690.41B, formerly 690.41B exception, we will mention that if an array is solidly grounded, has one or two PV source circuits, and is not on a building, then ground fault protection is not required. This way we can solidly ground the system. As we can see in figure 6.5, the grounding bus bar is connected solidly to a grounded conductor. This is also an example of a DC direct coupled PV system, which is common for water pumping systems in the California foothills. Now we're going to look at this image, figure 6.5, solidly grounded PV array, and we can see one of the current carrying conductors is connected to a ground rod. That's pretty much it that one of the current carrying conductors is connected to a grounding electrode. That's pretty much it. Pretty simple. No ground fault protection. And I wonder what they're doing in those California foothills pumping water. Those crazy hippies. Now we have an informational text box. Solidly grounded systems are very common, just not for PV arrays. We are used to solidly grounded systems with typical electrical systems. The reason it is uncommon with PV systems is because of the lack of high short circuit currents due to the current limited characteristics of PV. With low short circuit currents, we cannot rely on standard overcurrent devices to clear faults. We can only detect faults and shut down the system as a result of the fault. With a wild PV circuit, everything, including the overcurrent protection, is sized based on at least 156% of short-circuit current, so with a short, it will not open a fuse. And now, the last way of DC array grounding is 690.41A6, circuits protected by equipment listed and identified for use. PV technology is fast moving, and the code has left open a way for newer inventions to be code compliant if they are listed and approved. Over the years, several inverters have been certified to this option. One key example in somewhat recent history was the advanced energy inverters that had an array configured in a bipolarish fashion. These larger inverters were configured similarly to bipolar PV systems, but had several features that were very different from bipolar arrays. Those inverters were among the safest inverters back when they were manufactured. 10%, 25%, 150%, 156%. Okay, now we are jumping over from 690.41A, all the different ways to do DC array grounding, to 690.41B, DC ground fault detector interrupter, GFDI protection. Circuits over 30 volts or eight amps, most PV modules, shall have GFDI as seen in 690.41 B1 and 690.41 B2 below. Solidly grounded PV source circuits are only allowed without GFDI if, two things here now, no more than two in parallel and not on or in buildings. So what does that mean? Pretty much you don't need ground fault protection if you're not on a building and you only have two strings. This was formerly an exception in the 2017 NEC, so it's organized different. Discussion. It may be less clear now the part about solidly grounded systems with two or less in parallel and not on or in buildings is no longer an exception. To be clear, you can still have solidly grounded systems without GFDI that are over 30 volts and 8 amps, the organization has changed but the implementation has stayed the same as with most NEC changes. 690.41b informational note. Not all equipment that DC PV arrays are connected to has GFDI. If GFDI is not included, then in the installation manual there's often a warning statement that indicates GFDI is not included. Equipment without GFDI is often smaller, standalone equipment and not interactive inverters. Discussion, the DC ground fault protection has to do with what you are connecting your PV array to. So it is not for a battery inverter in this article 690 PV context. It is usually for an interactive inverter PV input or a charge controller PV input. That's what you're connecting your array to. 690.41B1 Ground Fault Detection. Ground Fault Detection must meet all of the following requirements. There's three of them here detect ground faults in the PV array DC circuits, detect ground faults in any functionally grounded conductors, listed for PV GFDI protection. DC to DC converters sometimes are not listed to provide ground fault protection and must work with listed GFDI protection equipment. Informational note. Some DC to DC converters without ground fault protection on their source PV side may prevent other ground fault protection equipment from working properly. In other words, in some DC to DC converter cases, GFDI plus GFDI equals no GFDI. That means two rights can make a wrong. Sounds political. 690.41 B2 faulted circuits. Faulted circuits shall be controlled by either one of the following of 690.41 B21 or 690.41 B22. And so here they are. 690.41 B21. Current carrying conductors auto disconnect. Current carrying faulted conductors of the circuit will automatically disconnect. 690.41 B22 power off interrupt faulted PV DC circuits from the ground reference and functionally grounded systems. Inverter or charge controller fed by faulted circuit will automatically do both. Stop supplying power to output circuits and interrupt PV system DC circuits from grounded reference and functionally grounded system. Discussion. A properly UL1741 listed inverter will have been tested and listed for ground fault protection. Informational text box, Equipment Certification, UL and ANSI, that's A-N-S-I. Equipment Certification is a de facto requirement of the NEC because it requires all equipment to be evaluated for the intended use in section 90.7 Examination of Equipment for Safety. Underwriters Laboratories, UL, has been tasked by the ANSI, American National Standards Institute, to establish certification standards for the safety of PV equipment. There are numerous UL standards that are used for PV equipment. UL 1741 is the standard used for certifying inverters and other PV-related electronic equipment, such as charge controllers and DC to DC converters. 690.41b3, indication of faults. GFDI equipment must indicate that there was a ground fault at a readily accessible location. 690.41 B3 informational note. Examples of indication methods include, there's four of them here, and it starts with remote indicator light, display monitor, signal to monitored alarm systems, notification by web based services. Cool. So your adverter could just email you. Discussion. Web-based services can be a text message or an app notification. Notice that smoke signals were not included since that could be mistaken for the building is on fire. Maybe it is as if we did not address the fault. Smoke is not considered a good way to indicate a ground fault, but it might actually indicate one. Now we're on to 690.42 point of PV system DC circuit grounding connection. 690.42 A. Circuits with GFDI protection. Circuits protected by GFDI equipment, according to 690.41 B. DC ground fault detector interrupter GFDI protection, shall have circuit to ground connection made via GFDI equipment. 690.42 B. Solidly grounded circuits. Solidly grounded systems are grounded from any single point of a PV DC system to the grounding electrode system in 690.47A, building or structure supporting a PV system. 690.47 grounding electrode system is coming up, page 147 of PV and the NEC. And by the way, I'm reading this from PV and the NEC. Make sure to get yourself a copy. You can go to SolarSean, that's solar, dot go halfway down the page. And you can see links to all of my books, including this one, PV and the NEC, 3rd edition by Sean White and Bill Brooks. Now, we're going to an informational text box here. Ground Fault Protection, GFDI and GFCI. Ground Fault Protection is, in essence, determining if there is a connection to ground by a current carrying conductor that was not meant to be. To determine if there is an extra connection, ground fault, then a ground fault protection device must be keeping tabs on the state of the current carrying conductor versus ground. In any electrical system, more than one point of system grounding is called a ground fault. If there were two points of system grounding, then there would be a parallel pathway for current to flow along the grounding system or through the equipment. In the 2023 NEC, the GFDI term was put into the NEC to differentiate between Ground Fault Circuit Interruption, GFCI, and the Ground Fault Detection and Interruption, GFDI. The term GFDI has been around for a while in the industry and is often associated with fuse-grounded systems. However, it is clear now that GFDI includes all PV DC ground fault protection and has nothing to do with GFCIs. I always think of GFCI as being like AC. And just a little reminder before we go on to the outline of 690.43 equipment grounding and bonding that you can learn more and go to solarsean.com. There's all kinds of good links there like links to this podcast, links to the Solar Pro Index for all those old excellent Solar Pro articles that used to just pop up on the Google search. Well, now you can still download the Solar Pro magazines at solarprofessional.com and if you want an index so you can find the articles, I made one at solarshan, that's SolarSean.com. I have a discussion forum there, people asking all kinds of questions, making the discussion happen, and links, of course, to the online classes. You can also check out all my online classes at heatspring.com forward sean. And those are where all my classes are. You have a link to that right at the beginning of solarshan.com. I have flashcards. So you can do some digital flashcards. I have archives of my newsletter and another thing that people find really handy is I have a list of different solar permit companies. So they're competing against each other and I have all these different solar permit companies. If you have one that I haven't mentioned, make sure to let me know about it and we'll add you to the list. And then below that, I have a bunch of solar financing providers, PV O&M companies, and lots of solar distributors where you could buy solar equipment. And also on that page, I have a list of tons of solar and storage design software. I try not to pick winners, so I put them all there, except I really do like PV Watts. It's made by NREL, the smartest people in the world. And at the bottom of that page, there's a link where you could sign a pledge to prevent forced labor in the solar supply chain. Then another thing that's very useful at the solarshawn.com website is the NEC adoption list and maps. And so instead of just having one place to go to for your adoption lists and maps to see what version of the NEC you're on or somebody else is on, I have a whole bunch of different sources. Sometimes they conflict with each other because some of them haven't been updated. So this way you can find out all the different sources to get a much better idea of what's going on. And then another thing that I have is a page for solar and storage news. All these different sources of where you can get your information. And then last but not least, I have a solar permitting databases and resources page. So there's a lot of information here about permitting and what's going on and i know it gets confusing because permitting is different in different places and there you can find it all at solar n.com. and now back to reading a part five grounding and bonding and we are at the outline of 690.43 equipment grounding and bonding there's just four different things here it's not a super long outline we've got a b c and d 690.43 a photovoltaic module mounting systems and devices, 690.43B, equipment secured to grounded metal supports, and 690.43C location, 690.43D, bonding over 250 volts. Grounding shall comply with 250.134, equipment fastened in place or connected by permanent wiring methods fixed, and 250.136, equipment secured to metal rack or structure. 250.136 sends you back to 250.134, which sends you to the other places that send you to other places and is commonly for the very huge Article 250, Grounding and Bonding very huge article, that 250. Equipment grounding of PV systems is theoretically the same as equipment grounding of other systems. Hence, we refer to and take the rules from Article 250 when applying the code to our PV system grounding systems. For instance, 690.43 directs us to 250.134, which directs us to 250.32, which directs us to 250.118, and so on and so forth. Sheesh, isn't that crazy how many pages they make you turn? They're trying to kill us with paper cuts. Good thing they have digital versions now. Informational text box. Why inspectors like to call you on grounding and bonding. Since equipment grounding of a PV system is similar to and takes much of its requirements from Article 250 bonding and grounding, inspectors who are not as familiar with PV systems as they are with other systems will often put a lot of effort into inspecting what they know which is how to inspect grounding and bonding. Here are some of the places that 250.134 can take you. 250.134, equipment fastened in place or connected by permanent wiring methods, fixed. Here we are referring to bonding, grounding, non-current carrying metal parts. You can be connected to the grounded circuit conductor as permitted by either. And so there's a whole bunch of different ways here to be connected to the grounded circuit conductor And we're going to start going off of these 250.32 buildings or structures supplied by a feeder or feeders or branch circuit or circuits. And then another way to be connected to the grounded circuit conductor is 250.140 frames of ranges and clothes dryers. 690 brings us here. Wow. I think I'm going to ground my next PV array to my clothes dryer. Hey, that might be an idea. We have these dryer plugs that people are plugging in their electric cars to. Why not plug your PV system into it? And another way to connect to the grounded circuit conductor, 250.142, use of grounded circuit conductor for grounding equipment. Or you can be connected by one of the following 250.134.1 by connecting to equipment grounding conductors as permitted by 250.1182 through 14. By the way, there is a typo in the 2023 NEC here. It's not my book, it's the NEC's fault. Since 250.118 was reorganized, so it should say 250.118A2 through 14. Perhaps by the time you read this, the typo will have been untypoed. The NEC can do that from digital versions. 250.118A lists the types of equipment grounding conductors permitted, that's EGCs. 250.118A sends us to enough places to write a book on grounding. If you are a super grounding nerd, you can read Mike Holt's book on bonding versus grounding, and we will be impressed when you stump us and we expertly dodge your questions in front of hundreds of people at a big, important conference. Note, SOARS is and has been wrong when it used the term grounding. By the way, a little note here is Mike Holt proofread our book and corrected us here. Thanks, Mike. 250.134.2 option is by connecting an EGC, that's Equipment Grounding Conductor, that is contained within the same raceway, cable, or run with circuit conductors. 250.134.2 exception 1, as provided in 250.130C replacement of non-grounding receptacle or snap, switch, and branch circuit extensions, EGC shall be allowed to run separately. 250.134.2, 250.134 2 exception to for dc circuits egc shall be permitted to be run separately this is relevant to us dc people and no i'm not talking about that district of columbia where they have taxation without representation i'm talking about direct current the uncapitalized dc because it's a word in the nec informational text box Why equipment grounding? A good reason for equipment grounding is to protect people. If a hot wire got loose and touched a piece of metal that was not connected to the equipment grounding conductor, then someone could touch that piece of metal and get shocked. Another good reason for grounding is a pathway for ground fault protection to signal the inverter when there is a ground fault. Without an equipment grounding conductor, ground fault protection would not work properly. 690.43A, photovoltaic module mounting systems and devices. Equipment that is listed, labeled, and identified for bonding PV modules, frames, is permitted for equipment grounding and bonding of PV modules. Also, this equipment may be used to bond adjacent modules to each other. 690.43A, informational note: UL2703 and UL3703 are the standards used for bonding PV module frames. UL 3703 is used for trackers. Wow. You just add a thousand to 2703 and you have the grounding system for trackers. That must be tricky with all those moving parts. Informational text box. UL-2703 standard for mounting systems, mounting devices, clamping retention devices, and ground lugs for use with flat plate photovoltaic modules and panels. When we think of UL-2703 listed racking systems, we often think of a clamping device that holds a PV module or piece of equipment in place that has a sharp point that will pierce the anodized coating of a piece of aluminum and make a code-compliant equipment grounding pathway. A big benefit to PV and dollars for using UL2703 listed racking is the reduction in time and materials required by not having to undertake time-consuming grounding methods of the past, such as using lugs on each PV module with a collection of washers, antioxidant chemicals, and using emery cloth to rub off anodized coating of a module frame to get a good connection. Reminds me of taking John Wiles' class 15 years ago. 690.43B, Equipment Secured to Grounded Metal Supports. Grounded metal supports are supported structures that PV modules are mounted on that are already connected to earth by any means permitted in Article 250. In order to bond PV equipment to grounded metal supports, the grounding devices must be listed, labeled, and identified, and that is listed on a nationally recognized testing lab, that's NRTL, list. Search OSHA NRTL to find the list. Labeled has a label from the NRTL, that's nationally recognized testing lab. Identified means identified for specific use and no off-label usage. Metallic support structure sections shall be either connected via identified bonding jumpers or connected to equipment grounding conductor, EGC, and support structure shall be identified. 690.43C Location Equipment grounding conductors shall be permitted to run separately from the PV system conductors within the array. If the equipment grounding conductor is run separately, follow 250.134 equipment fastened in place or connected by permanent wiring methods, fixed, which we just covered. See page 140 discussion. 690.43C in the 2020 NEC was called with circuit conductors and required us to run the EGC with circuit conductors. And now in the 2023 NEC, we are more liberal and allow our equipment grounding conductor to be run separate from the circuit conductors like other DC systems. So check that out. That's a code change, people. 2023 NEC allows the equipment grounding conductor to be run separate from the circuit conductors. Take a deep breath, breathe that in. Now you got it. It's a code change, ding, 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 ding. 690.43D bonding over 250 volts. For solidly grounded systems over 250 volts, which is rare, 250.97 bonding over 250 volts to ground shall apply. Here we see requirements about continuity of metal raceways and metal sheath cables for solidly grounded systems over 250 volts to ground. Where concentric and eccentric knockouts are encountered, there may not be sufficient continuity to clear large circuit breakers in a fault. This is more commonly referenced for AC systems over 250 volts to ground, since solidly grounded PV systems, especially those over 250 volts to ground, are rare. Now we have an informational text box, what we were just talking about. No bonding bushings required, exclamation mark. In the 2017 NEC and earlier, this 250.97 requirement for concentric and eccentric knockouts was not only for solidly grounded systems, and many inspectors are still enforcing the older requirements in making you install bonding bushings on functionally grounded DCPV systems over 250 volts. Politely show your inspector 690.43D if you do not like to spend time and money on bonding bushings where they are not required. Sensitive ground fault equipment required in functionally grounded systems can effectively use concentric and eccentric box connections without failing in a fault and therefore doesn't need to follow 250.97. Hooray! Little reminder here people, get your information from SolarSean.com. Now on to 690.45 size of equipment grounding conductors. PV system circuit equipment grounding conductors are sized in accordance with table 250.122, minimum size of equipment grounding conductors, which bases the equipment grounding conductor off the size of the overcurrent protection device. If there is no overcurrent protection device, such as with one or two PV source circuits, then the value calculated in 690.9b overcurrent device ratings, that's ISC, short circuit current times 1.56 for wild PV, for an assumed overcurrent protection device will be used in place of an overcurrent protective device value. Recall that 690.9b, covered on page 57 of PV in the NEC third edition, calculates an overcurrent protection device based on either, and now we have four ethers here. 125% of maximum current calculated in 690.8A, which means maximum circuit current times 1.25, or short circuit current times 1.56 for PV source circuits, since ISC times 1.25, that's short circuit current times 1.25, equals maximum circuit current for wild PV, And then another way is maximum current and application of adjustment and correction factors and you should just see chapter 12 wire sizing then we have electronic overcurrent protection device listed to prevent back feed on the pv side of the device and last but not least equipment grounding conductor size shall not be smaller than 14 awg Discussion. It is interesting to note that in many cases, multiple PV output circuits are not required to have more than a single 14 AWG equipment grounding conductor when protected in a raceway. Many solar installers will size the equipment grounding conductor to be the same size as the current carrying conductor for conductors up to 10 AWG. This is often done to decrease the possibility of a well-intentioned inspector questioning a code compliant 14 AWG equipment grounding conductor. Just to make a point here, it would be code compliant to have eight PV source circuits come off a rooftop in a raceway with 16 different 10 AWG current carrying conductors along with a single 14 AWG equipment grounding conductor. Since the smallest copper equipment grounding conductor in table 250.122 is 14 AWG, which is sized based on a 15 amp overcurrent device, then we can calculate the highest short circuit current value that will fit on a 15 amp fuse and use a 14 AWG equipment grounding conductor as follows. And so we have a little bit of math here. It says ISC times 1.56 equals 15 amps. And then under that, we're solving for ISC. We're going ISC equals 15 amps divided by 1.56 equals 9.6 amps. Therefore, if a PV module has an ISC, that short circuit current value, of over 9.6 amps, then it would need greater than a 15 amp series fuse rating and greater than a 14 AWG equipment grounding conductor. And a pv module with an isc over 9.6 amps would have a maximum series fuse rating of 20 amps unless you could find a future module that had an isc greater than 20 amps divided by 1.56 is 12.8 amps and you know what those cells are getting bigger those modules are getting bigger i bet you could probably find one 690.45 specifically states that we do not have to increase equipment grounding conductor size for voltage drop considerations on either the DC or AC side of a PV system. Think about that. Since PV is the opposite of a load, current does not increase because of voltage drop. There are no NEC or safety requirements for PV systems regarding voltage drop. A 50% voltage drop would be illogical and very wasteful, but not necessarily a code violation. This contradicts and supersedes Article 250. Just because Article 250 penalizes you for doing the right thing, oversizing your current carrying conductors, does not mean that 690 is going to go along with this reverse logic. Oversizing a current carrying conductor makes your PV system safer and more efficient, regardless of whether you upsize your equipment grounding conductors. Remember, NEC chapters five through seven modify and supersede chapters one through four. And now we have one of those informational text box. And this informational text box reading is brought to you by Solar. Yeah, Solar's cool dude, do Solar. Brought to you by Solar. Okay, exposed to physical damage equals six AWG minimum bare copper. Oftentimes the equipment grounding conductors EGCs under the array are considered to be exposed to physical damage and if that were the case, the bare copper equipment grounding conductor would need to be 6 AWG size minimum. Oftentimes in places with significant weather, such as snow and ice, the AHJ will require a 6 AWG bare copper equipment grounding conductor if exposed bare copper is used. In the deep west. the wind is relatively mild oftentimes you see 10 awg equipment grounding conductors under the array but in the east you often see the ahj require six awg bare copper and some solar installers will use smaller green use 2 to conserve copper if you're trying to talk your inspector into a green that you do not require a six awg equipment grounding conductor you can reference 250120 C equipment grounding conductors smaller than 6 AWG, where it says that you need to be protected from physical damage in a raceway or cable armor unless it is installed within the hollow spaces of framing members, of buildings, of structures, and where it is not subject to physical damage. Since a PV array is a structure, you would have a good point. We're not saying that you would win the debate, but you would have an intelligent point to make. The unanswered question is, what is considered subject to physical damage? And the answer is regional and subjective. In the end, how much do you really want to argue with an inspector when you're trying to get your project finalized? It is interesting to note that in the Chicago area, according to at least 10 people whose jobs it is to meet with inspectors every day, they require more heavy-duty intermediate metal conduit, IMC, or rigid metal conduit, RMC instead of EMT. This is due to the extreme weather, but they do allow 10 AWG equipment grounding conductors under the array because Bill told them it was okay 20 years ago. In other locations, installers are allowed, as they should be, to use green 10 AWG USE2 wire under the array. Okay, here we go. 690.47 grounding electrode system. Are you one of the top PV experts in the country? Lace up your boxing gloves and welcome to 690.47, the section of 690 where there are heated debates on how to interpret how grounding electrode systems are meant to be interpreted in the code. Try not to take it personally if you have a different idea than your colleagues. Good debate can be fun, woo! Especially when you are right and everyone else is wrong. Do a YouTube search for 2014 NEC 690.47D Mike Holt for some excitement where you will see Bill and Sean, along with Mike, who endorses this book. Endorsement to your millions of NEC books back at you, Mike. There are many factors to deal with here, and grounding electrode systems outside of PV are also hard to understand because the way they are implemented differs regionally. Factors such as wet earth, dry earth, lightning vortexes, corrosion, living on a rock, stray currents, proximity to large power production systems, and more will influence people's opinions on how to properly connect to Earth. Refresher EGC equals Equipment Grounding Conductor. GEC equals Grounding Electrode Conductor. And then we have figure 6.6, which is the Mike Holt 2014 National Electrical Code team. We have Sean and Mike and Bill and Ryan and Jason and Dave and Richard. And that was your Mike Holt 2014 NEC PV team. Anyway, we're talking about the outline now of 690.47, the controversial grounding electrode system. 690.47A, buildings or structures supporting a PV system. 690.47A1, EGC only connection to ground if not solidly grounded. And the other way with buildings or structures is 690.47A2, solidly grounded systems DC grounding electrode conductor. Then there's 690.47B, Grounding Electrodes and Grounding Electrode Conductors. 690.47 Grounding Electrode System was once again changed in the 2023 NEC with a bit less pointing to Article 250 and 690.47A. In the 2020 NEC, 690.47A broadly pointed to 250 Part 3 Grounding Electrode System and Grounding Electrode Conductor which is no longer the case. 690.47A, buildings or structures supporting a PV system. 690.47A says that buildings or structures supporting a PV system shall utilize a grounding electrode system installed in accordance with 690.47B, grounding electrodes and grounding electrode conductors. Additionally, 690.47a tells us that PV array equipment grounding conductors shall be connected to a grounding electrode system in accordance with Article 250, Part 7, Methods of Equipment Grounding Conductor Connections. And the connection is in addition to 690.43c location, which tells us now that the EGCs are permitted to be run separately from the PV system conductors within the array. See page 143 of PV and the NEC third edition, based on the 2023 National Electrical Code. Get it at Amazon. Also building and structure array EGCs, that's equipment grounding conductors, shall be sized in accordance with 690.45 size of equipment grounding conductors See page 144, which directs us to Table 250.122, minimum size of equipment grounding conductors. See page 146. Hey, we were just there. Back to where we were. One of the two following will apply. 690.47A1 is for systems that are not solidly grounded, which is the majority of everything. And 690.47A2 will apply to the extremely rare, solidly grounded PV system not on a building. So here we go, 690.47A1 not solidly grounded systems on buildings are allowed to have the EGCs be the only connection to ground. This definitely means that for most systems installed today, we do not need a DC grounding electrode conductor like the old days. DC Grounding Electrode Conductors are just out of style. Then we have 690.47A2, solidly grounded systems on structures would have to comply with 690.41A5 on page 134, and we size the DC Grounding Electrode Conductor based on table 250.166, size of Direct Current Grounding Electrode Conductor. Remember, these systems are only allowed We're not on buildings, so this is rare, and we will not go too deep and waste your extremely valuable time. 690.47B, grounding electrodes and grounding electrode conductors. A grounding electrode system includes pieces of metal connected to earth and other pieces of metal connecting those pieces together and then to the grounding electrode system via a grounding electrode conductor. 690.47 690.47 has been controversial back and forth over the years. The conflict was, should we have an additional auxiliary electrode or electrodes or not? In the 2008 to 2014 NECs, it was often interpreted as required, which upset people, but many did not install them. In the 2017 NEC, this section was reworded to make it clear that the additional auxiliary electrode was optional. Once again, in the 2020 and 2023 NEC, it is optional but no longer called auxiliary. Now it's just termed additional electrodes. Auxiliary electrodes are electrodes that are attached to the equipment grounding system and do not follow the rules of typical electrodes. Now, apparently, we have to follow the typical rules for something optional. In the 2008 to 2014 NEC, 690.47d Additional Auxiliary Electrodes for Array Grounding said that these electrodes shall be installed with two exceptions. These two exceptions essentially made it not required for systems on buildings. The exceptions were so poorly worded that few code enforcers allowed the exceptions, and the result was that electrodes got installed on buildings with perfectly acceptable grounding electrode systems. This is now a low-key optional thing that someone can do if they want. One of the reasons for this being controversial was because lightning strikes to Earth can send a wave of voltage. If this wave hits an electrode and causes different voltages at different electrodes that are attached through equipment, then the equipment can sizzle and pop. What these optional electrodes are, if you have an array on your roof, you are permitted to take a conductor from the array straight to a ground rod. This would also go for a ground mount. However, one way you can look at it is if your array is put in concrete on earth with metal, every post is electrically an additional electrode. You can connect the 690.47B electrodes to the PV arrays on buildings to the metal structural frame of the building if you want. Keep in mind that this connection does not substitute for the equipment grounding conductor connection to the inverter. Without the equipment grounding conductor connection to the inverter, the ground fault detectors would not work properly. Get grounded, at least functionally and that brings us to the end of part 5 grounding and bonding which is also known as chapter 6 of that famous book PV and NEC so thanks for listening to Sean White's solar energy storage podcast and don't forget to go to solarsean.com Get all your NAPSEP continuing education credits, get your NAPSEP associate, get your NAPSEP, whatever they have, you can get it there. That's solar, S-E-A-N dot com.